Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So we are uh, getting toward the end, I say the end, we have a few more weeks left in our anger study that we're doing here on Sunday morning, and I want to pause for just a moment and share with you why we're doing this. And I think it would be pretty obvious, but, but I want to just make it painfully clear. We live in a very angry world, don't we? We, we are saturated in it. We are, we are steeped in it. And if we're not careful, as followers of Jesus, it's so much easier to imitate the world than it is to imitate Christ. If we're not careful, we start acting like the world rather than acting like Jesus' followers. And so here's my encouragement, just as straight as I can put it, we can do better. The world does not need any more people to, to, uh, to dish out more anger. We need in our world people of clarity and conviction and peace. And so I'm going to call you, and, and there's a time and a place to be angry over the right issues and in the right way, but, but so often if we're not careful, our anger leads to sin, and the world doesn't need any more of that. So a couple of years ago, my wife and I, uh, I was in seminary. She was teaching school, I guess it's more than a couple of years ago. It's now about 25 years ago. We were getting ready to have kids, and we decided, hey, before we have kids, we, need to, we actually need to go on a vacation as a married couple. We had not done that except for our honeymoon, because we thought that once we had kids, we would never have another vacation again, <laughs> which is partly true. You never have a relaxing vacation again, let me put it that way. And so we, uh, we just jumped in the car, and we had a general idea of where we wanted to go. It was 1996, so we drove up to Oklahoma City and saw the bombing site there early on. And then we drove up to Mount Rushmore and then over to see her aunt and uncle in Montana. We went to Yellowstone. Then we said, hey, Iowa's just over here. Let's drive across to Iowa and see my grandparents, which I'm glad we did. It was the last time I saw her alive. And as we're driving across the northern states, we were just a few miles from the Canadian border. And so I said, let's go to Canada. So we, we drove into Canada and drove across that way. And everything was fine and good until we needed some petroleum fuel. So we pulled up to the gas station, and there was an attendant. He came up to the window, and he said, how many liters do you want, A? <laughs> liters. Okay. Now, I can't believe I didn't know this at the time, but I was threatened in 1977 that Jimmy Carter was going to make me learn the metric system. <laughs> and it sounded, even to my first grade ears, like a communist plot to do that. So I wasn't going to learn the metric system. I didn't know how much a liter was. I can't believe that now. But I said, uh, how many liters? Uh, two. <laughs> the attendant looked back, he goes, two? Two. So eight seconds later, he's back at the window asking for money, and I saw my gauge just went, Hurr. so I said, how about two more? And two more. <laughs> we did that a couple of times. So now, by the way, I know approximately how much a liter is. I, I've, I've grown up a little bit since then. But if you think about it, and you've had that experience either with fuel or currency or whatever, when you're in a strange country, they have a strange way of measuring things, right? So will you just hold on to that idea for just a moment? I'm going to ask you to join me in 2 Kings chapter 5 in the Older Testament. 2 Kings chapter 5, I want to let you know where we are 
uh, in the timeline here, we're 800 years before Jesus. And this is the golden age of the Older Testament prophets. In fact, the major prophet, the one who did it right, was a man by the name of Elijah. And you take any sport, I mean, he was the Michael Jordan, he was the Mickey Mantle, he was the Wayne Gretzky, he was the Tiger Woods, he is the quintessential top-notch prophet. Well, Elijah's day had come and gone, and he had literally handed the mantle to Elisha, his understudy, and Elisha asked, whatever spirit is on you, I want double of that. And it's interesting that there are twice as many miracles recorded about Elisha, in fact, exactly twice as many recorded about Elisha than Elijah. The other cool thing about Elisha is he was bald, Matt. <laughs> and at one point, somebody made fun of Elisha for being bald, and you have to read what happened to them. It wasn't good, all right? So Elisha, he is now on the scene. He's this great prophet, and this event happens in his life. And I just want to read 2 Kings chapter 5, and we'll explore it as we go through. Now, Naaman, his name means gracious. Naaman was a commander in the army of the king of Aram. Aram is basically Syria, shares a border with Israel. Best way I could define Aram and Israel is they were frenemies. <laughs> Most of the time they got along, but many times they were in conflict with one another. There'd be border skirmishes, etc. But, but generally they were at peace. So Naaman was a great man in the sight of his master. He was highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory through Aram. He was a valiant soldier. Now, if you just stop there, everything's great. But of course, there wouldn't be a story. He was a valiant soldier, but Naaman had Matsura. The Hebrew word for leprosy, it just, it kind of sticks on the tongue just a little bit. It's not a good thing. Now, this is probably not Hansen's disease, as we know, as the degenerative disease today. It was probably uh, leprosy in the Older Testament. It was any number of skin diseases, but he probably had patchy scales all over his body. He was unsightly. It made things socially awkward for him as he was interacting with people. He also probably couldn't go and worship his gods at his temple. I love what Elizabeth Elliot says. She says, suffering is having what you don't want and wanting what you don't have. Just hear that again. Suffering is having what you don't want, leprosy, and wanting what you don't have, healing. I also want to show you a picture of Freddie. Here's Freddie, a Brazilian tortoise. He was in a forest fire about, a, about 10 years ago when veterinarians found him, 90% of his shell was burned away. He was near death, and tortoises can't survive without their shell. But you say, well, I see a shell right up here. They used a 3D printer to create a shell for him. Isn't that cool? And then they painted it to kind of blend into the background, right? Isn't that incredible? Well, Naaman needed a new skin. He needed a new shell. He needed a new look. It was, he was suffering. He had what he didn't want, and he wanted what he couldn't have. Okay, so that's the situation that he's in. Verse 2, now, bands of raiders from Aram, again, the Israel and Aram, they had these border skirmishes. They had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. She served Naaman's wife, and she said to her mistress, oddly, obviously she thinks highly of Naaman, if only my master would see a prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went to his master, the king of Aram, and he told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. 
I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left. Boy, he means business. Ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. But as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? He is trying to pick a quarrel with me. So we all see in the news where you have a professional athlete who's detained in a foreign country, what kind of tension that causes. It's an international incident, creates international tension as though there weren't already enough of that as it is. So you can imagine that here comes a general from a potentially opposing army. They come to the king of Israel, please heal me. If the king is not able to deliver, then it could be a pretext for war. And the king of Israel, that's how he reads the situation. You're just trying to make an excuse for us to, to battle it out. So, verse 8, when Elisha, there's my bald-headed buddy right there, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message, why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. By the way, king of Israel, it would be good for you to know there's a prophet in Israel too. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house, Elisha sent a messenger to him and said, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. So here's where I want to unpack a little bit of this because there's an important number and an important location here. Seven, go dip yourself seven times, that's a creation number. That God created the heavens and the earth and He rested all within seven days. And so the message there is God can make you brand new. If God can create you, He can also recreate you. And then the image of the Jordan, that's a salvation imagery here because the children of Israel, they had to cross the Jordan to get into the promised land that God gave them on covenant. So this is a salvation picture here, driving home the fact that God is the creator, God is the savior. Now, did Naaman piece all that together? We don't know because in a foreign country, in a strange land, you sometimes measure things in a strange way. And maybe he didn't pick up on those measurements. Maybe he didn't pick up on the imagery there. We don't know for sure. But what happens next is where I want to get to. Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that this prophet Elisha, he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Arbana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned away and went away in a rage. Now notice in verse 11, it says he was angry. By the time we get to verse 12, he was in a rage, just reminding us that Nobody and nothing else can make you angry. Only you can make you angry. And here we see him ramping up that anger. Now, think about this. What specifically was he angry about? It's three things. First of all, I expected Elisha to come out to me. You almost hear him say, doesn't he know who I am? He was a general. He was a five-star general. He was, being, he was used to having people treat him with preference and deference. And here, Elisha just sends out a messenger. Doesn't he know who I am? 
You see what makes him angry is his ego. And then I expected him, when he came out to me, I expected him to wave a hand over me and perform some kind of elaborate ceremony. The other thing that makes him angry is his expectations. So when the British colonized India, they took with them the game of golf. But India has something that the island of Great Britain does not have, monkeys. And so people, those of you who are golfers, imagine this, you hit a ball down the fairway or it gets in the rough and a monkey comes along and picks it up and drags it off several feet. And so golfers had to create a rule, here's the rule literally, play the ball where the monkey drops it. <laughs> Isn't that life? Don't we all go into the day having expectations about what or what, what is not going to happen? Here's the rule you need to live by on Monday, you need to play the ball where the monkey drops it, okay? What Naaman expected, didn't, don't know what he was expecting, but it didn't happen. It was kind of disappointing. So his ego gets in the way, his expectations get in the way, and his sense of entitlement gets in the way. Aren't the rivers back in Damascus cleaner than the Jordan? Now, technically, he's right. The two rivers that he mentions are fed by snowmelt, so they're cool and clean and cold. And if you've ever been to the Jordan River, it's a muddy creek by comparison. So technically he's right, but he's operating on a sense of entitlement that I deserve the very best. Just think about it. how many times we get angry that that's the reason. And it's almost as though you want to say to Naaman, is this about stroking your ego or about healing your skin? Is this about getting your expectations met or seeing a miracle happen? Is this about fulfilling your entitlement or relieving your suffering, it seems that he was missing the point, it seems that he had lost focus, it seems that he had forgotten what is really essential, and he got himself angry. Now, thank God for the right person at the right time, because another servant, it was a servant that told him to go to Israel, now another servant, verse 13, Naaman's servant went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then if he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, and as the man of God had told him, his flesh was restored, and he became clean like a young boy. So every week I give you just one verse. If, if you're going to read your Bible very little this week, just read this one verse and pray it over yourself. At least do that. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath and a harsh word stirs up anger. We see a servant here give a very gentle word and reminds Naaman, angry Naaman, who normally is gracious. Now he's just angry, he's in a rage, reminds him of what is truly important. So can I do the same thing with you this morning? I don't know how this is gonna work with everyone in the room, but I know some of the things that make us angry in the world. I know some of us are angry about our jobs right now. Maybe you're angry about your career, can I just remind you of what's really important? We do the jobs that we do because ideally God has called us to a certain career. He's given us a certain calling. We also do what we do because hopefully what we do provides for the common good. In fact, I don't think God would call you to anything that does not serve the common good in some way. And God has given us jobs to provide for our family. 
So can I just remind you of how simple that really is, that we just listen for the call of God, that we serve the common good, that we provide for our families, but so often our jobs, we get wrapped around the axle of all of that and all the drama and all the problems. And let's remember what's truly important, serving God, serving people, providing for our family. Let's talk about family. Sometimes we lose perspective with our family, don't we? Here's a thought that I had. I don't know if it's a good thought, but I had it. In 2020, I think we need to start raising our families like it's 1950. Now, I'm not talking about all the stereotypes, but I think in a complex world, we need to return to the simplicity of family. Parents, you be the adults. Parents, know your kids' friends. Know who's influencing them, not only in person, but online. And then parents, be unbusy. In fact, I, I, I'm a little legalistic about this. If you're too busy to have dinner with your family, you're too busy. Because you can be off conquering the world, but if your family is crumbling around you, it's not going to do much good. Remember what's essential. Remember what's important. Can we talk about politics for just a minute? No? Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> we treat every election and we treat every office like it's the end of the world. This stuff has been going on all the way back to 800 years before Jesus, thinking about political intrigue. When are we going to get that God has our times in His hands? Remember what is truly important. And let me remind you about one more thing. God. Sometimes we just need to remember what's really important. God is your creator. Now, really there's two ways of looking at the universe. Either we are here by accident, we're just a fluke of nature, or there is a God in the universe that created you. And if He created you, that gives us a sense of duty and obligation and purpose to give our lives back to Him. If life is a gift, and you know what this does? That alleviates all of our ego. We are a creation of God. And it's to be how we serve Him. Can I remind you that our God is also a Savior? So, Jesus would actually cite the story of Naaman. I think it's in Luke chapter 4. I may be wrong on that. But He cites this story and He says, back in, in Elisha's day, there were a lot of people who had leprosy all over Israel, but only one was healed, and that's Naaman the foreigner. And boy, that ticked off His Jewish audience because they had a sense of entitlement that God should love only us. Can I remind you that all of us, Baptists, Methodists, Pagans, Catholics, everybody, we are all dependent on God's grace. We serve a God who's a creator. We serve a God who is a savior, and we are called to serve Him. And all the things that make us angry, could we just not lose perspective? Could we, could we not forget that that's the most important thing? God is our creator, and God is our savior. Here's the thing I find appealing about the prophets like Elijah and Elisha, they cared more about people's souls than oftentimes those people cared about their own souls. Can I tell you that sometimes I feel that way as a pastor? That sometimes I feel like I care more for your soul than you do. Care for your soul. We spend so much time grooming our body and making sure we are people of success care for your soul.
So verse 15, Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. By the way, Elisha was perfectly willing to let Naaman walk away and miss out on the healing. He was perfectly ready to say, if you want to miss the blessing, you can. In the same way, God is perfectly willing to let you just remain an angry person. But when we come back to remember He is our Creator and He is our Savior, things can change. By the word, if you take the word anger and drop a D in front of it, what do you have? Danger. Anger can be a dangerous thing. It can cause us to miss out on God's blessings. Somebody needs to answer their phone. Verse 15, then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. It's a picture of grace. This is free. Healing is free. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. But now the tables were turned. If you will not, said Naaman, then please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make a burnt offering and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. He remembers what's important. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When your master enters the temple of Ramon, that's the god of his people, and he bows down and he is leaning on my arm and I bow down there also, when I bow down in that temple, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. And Elisha says, go in peace. So every now and then you're at a place where the very ground becomes sacred. Next time you visit the tomb of the unknowns in Washington, D.C., do you know those tombs sit on two, inch, two inches of French soil from battlefields in World War I? Marquis de Lafayette. He was a Frenchman who fought in our Revolutionary War. His last visit to the United States, he took bags of soil from Bunker Hill to be buried in back in France. Sometimes there's ground so sacred that it's special to us. And so it seems that what Naaman did is he took this dirt back, and in the temple of this false god, he spread out the, the dirt of Israel. And when I have to kneel down as an assistant to the king, when it looks like I'm kneeling to that god, I'm really kneeling to the God of Israel. It'll be a, a secret message between me and the Lord. Do you see this? Naaman is literally grounded. Can I remind you about what is truly important? That in our universe, we have a God who is our creator. He made you. And he made you for a relationship with him. And he made that possible because we also have a God who is a savior and he sent Jesus Christ to die for you, for the forgiveness of sins, for the restoration of a relationship with him. Life is so confusing. These things are pretty simple, aren't they? And so I would call you today very clearly, if you have never made that decision for you yourself to be a follower of Jesus, to come to him. And for you yourself, if you have never been baptized, today you can do that. You can take that step of obedience. So I just returned from a cowboy camp in West Texas. I go and speak there uh, as my second year now to speak at this camp. And all these ranchers come in from all around West Texas, and we eat beef for a week and talk about Jesus. It is wonderful. <laughs> Jesus has filled my mind, and the beef has filled my stomach this last week. 
So it's far west Texas, it's out toward Marfa and, and Fort Davis, and you probably know they're in a drought right now, and so every day there'd be somebody in the morning chapel to stand up and give a water report. And they say, okay, there's not enough water in camp today, so you people over here, you can't take baths or showers today, and the next day, okay, you people can't use water, and the next day, you people over here in this part of the camp need to ration. And so water was always very tentative. I mean, we, we forget how much we need it to live. So the last day of camp, the guy who's been giving this dire report all week long, he stands up, and by now it's just, most people have gone back home, there's just a few people left at the camp, just a fraction of the people who were there before. He stands up and he says, use all the water you want, there's plenty to go around. And so we all took showers for the first time in a week, right? What I tell you today, come on in, the water's fine. If God asked you to do something difficult, you probably would do it. But for the salvation of our souls, He asked us to do some things that are very easy. Acknowledge Him as a creator. Accept Him as our Savior. Follow Him in the commitment of baptism. And may Jesus be the Lord of our lives. And that's how we become people who are less angry and more at peace. Let's stand together and let's pray together. God, you are good and your love endures forever. I ask for your forgiveness that we often have imitated the anger of our culture because we too are people of ego, we too are people of entitlement, we too are people who we have expectations that are not realistic. And so if we've made ourselves angry today, would you help us to let that go and to trust you a little bit more? Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.